everybody welcome into to the point hope you're all doing well on this monday i am back it's been a minute since last tuesday but been been doing a few things uh, in my new digs here in fredericton still have some uh, work to do when it comes to uh studio and things looking uh presentable but this is where i'll be probably for the week still gotta uh, like i said gotta do some work on that front but uh enjoying myself so far Nice to be back in the uh, in the capital and all settled in. So all is good on the home front. I hope you all are doing well. I'll be back regularly. Just last week was a bit uh, was a bit of a, of a different week. So, but glad to be back uh, with all of you today. A lot to get into. A lot happened over the weekend. A lot of NHL. Got some NBA thoughts. UFC 288 Saturday night. Watch that. Enjoyed it. Some new headlines coming out of it, so we'll talk about all of that uh, here today. But we have to start. We don't have to start, but I guess we'll start. Where most of Canada is panicking right now. Where the Toronto Maple Leafs, who I said last week before Game 1, their season would be a failure if they did not get to the Stanley Cup Final are now down three to nothing. The biggest complaint was they're not playing on Saturday night. The biggest complaint now is they can't win a game. The Toronto Maple Leafs are down three nothing to an inferior hockey team in the Florida Panthers. And let me tell you, last night was not even close the Maple Leafs were lucky it went to overtime because not one of the Maple Leafs star players played well last night. Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner have all played horrible in the series. Austin Matthews on the first shift rang it off the crossbar, took his gear, packed it up, went to a beach somewhere down in South Beach and said, you know what? I'm done for the night. I've did my work. Somebody else can score a goal. He had no effort. His compete level was abhorrent. It was a pathetic performance from the Maple Leafs top players last night. It's a must-win game. You make the second round, which is basically like winning the Stanley Cup to the Toronto Maple Leafs fans. I'm not saying that as a diss. It's just a fact. You all know it. And that's what your best players have to show. They come out and play... Like snails, no compete, slow as hell, and they're just moping around. Snails, sloths, whatever you want to say, a slow fucking animal. That's how they played last night. You don't have to tell Matthew Kachuk to compete hard. He just will. He might not have got on the score sheet last night, but he was way more of a factor than Austin Matthews was. How about Anthony Duclair? In this series, Anthony Duclair was coming off a torn Achilles. Anthony Duclair has been through a lot in his career. Yes, he's battled through. Is he more talented than Austin Matthews? No. Is he more talented than Mitch Marner? No. But guess what? He has outplayed all of them in three games. He has been fantastic the last two games. The line of Verhege, Duclair, and Barkov has been virtually unstoppable. Barkov's been a beast. That's what you want to see from him in his defensive play. But Duclair's all over the puck. 
He's finishing his checks. He's in the offensive zone. And more often than not, that line is pinning Matthews in his own zone. That just can't happen. You're the most people said before the season, you're the best player in the world. He's better than Connor McDavid. He's better than Nathan McKinnon. He's better than all these guys. Bullshit he is. Like I said, he's not. I never understood that argument. He had one great year. Is Matthew Kachuk now all of a sudden better than Austin Matthews? Because he got nominated for the Hart this year, and Austin Matthews got nominated for, I don't know, maybe got a Tony Award. Did he get nominated for that? I don't know. But is that is that where the line is? Is that where the line is that it's just one season? How about a body of work? How about seeing what a player does year in, year out? How about consistency? How about playoff performance, which is how I do my rankings? That's how it should be judged. How you compete in the biggest moments. 82 games regular season. Who cares? Okay, it matters to Columbus. It matters to the teams that just squeak in. But the Toronto Maple Leafs are a playoff team every year. They deserve credit for that because that's not that easy to do. But they're a playoff team every year. What do you do when you get there? If you know you're getting to the playoffs every year, what do you do when you get to the big dance? And for most of these, they win a series. Way to go. But in this playoffs, game one, outplayed. Game two, they outplayed Tampa. Game three, Tampa outplayed Toronto. Game four, Tampa outplayed Toronto. Game five, I call it right down the middle, even. Game six, I'm giving it to Tampa. Tampa, I think I'll play them in that game. Toronto found a way to win. Game one, Florida outplayed them. Yes, I know Leafs fans, that's, that's going to be a hard one to swallow. Did you watch the third period? How many shots did Toronto get through? How, what were the shot totals in that game? Oh, Bobrovsky stole two games in this series. <clears throat> Wrong. Watch the tape again. Game two, Toronto outplayed them, but it wasn't by as wide a margin as people were talking about. As the people in the media, the, the Toronto media was talking about, oh, Bobrovsky stole one. Okay. Sure, okay, I'll give you that one. So you've outplayed your opponent two out of nine games. And you expect to be winning? You expect to be playing well? You expect everything to just be hunky-dory? No, there's a reason you're losing. It's because these other teams are out-fucking-competing you. How about going into board battles and winning one? Coming out with the puck? That is such a rarity for this Maple Leaf team. And I'll tell you, the biggest indictment you can have, in my opinion, is when you finish a game and your fourth-line players were your best player. Because by definition, by rankings, your fourth-liners should be your worst players. And David Camp and Sam Lafferty were the two best lead forwards last night. Bar none. Not close. Seems like every shift they're on the ice, they had a scoring opportunity. They contributed. They did something positive. They went into corners. They came out with pucks. It wasn't, it wasn't the Austin Matthews drive-by fest last night. Let's not throw a hit. Let's not go into a corner. Let's not do this. Drive-by, drive-by, drive-by. Big circle so I don't have to throw a hit. Like what? What is this? Game 42 of the regular season? You're playing for a cup. I don't know if he was upset because he missed UFC 288 on Saturday night because he's used to going to UFC events in early May because they're usually not playing. But maybe that's he's upset about that. Didn't get to go to Newark. Sydney Sweeney was there. Did get to see her? 
Didn't get to hang out with some celebs. It's a tough go. I mean, you know, it's one in Vancouver next month. Maybe you can make it. Well, actually, there's an event in Charlotte this Saturday, not a pay-per-view, which might be a little too on the bottom tier for him. But you know what? There's an event in Charlotte Saturday. You can stay in Florida. Quick, quick trip. Don't even get a fly. Get a nice car. Drive down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Good weather. Tell you that. Charlotte, it's an afternoon car. Get there, get out there early. Could drive back to South Beach for the for some nightlife. Maybe that's what he was hoping for. I don't know. But this, it was baffling to me how he went from one shift, clank it off the bar, and then just pack it in. Oh, my night's over. I did my work. I almost scored. Didn't even score, but I almost scored. How about somebody else steps up? Okay. Well, Mitch Marner had a lot of points in the first round. Had a lot of points. A lot of those were on the power play. And I've said this before. Points can be deceiving because if you just look at the box score, you always look at it this way. If you watch a kid, if you go to a game, you watch a kid, and the kid's got two goals and one assist. You think, well, he had a great game. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because you can get really lucky getting points. It's like plus minus. Plus minus is the most meaningless stat. Because a guy can be on the ice, not contribute to the play, and then the parent leaves, oh, my kid was so good. My parents did this. It's, it's wrong. It's, it's the incorrect way of looking at, at valuing and, and evaluating performance. But Mitch Marner got a lot of points. I don't think he's played well all playoff long. He has been worse than Matthews throughout the playoffs, in my opinion. And he's been worse in this series, and Matthews hasn't been good. Marner is forcing passes when it's just, it's not, it's not there. I don't see the opening. I don't see the creativity. I don't see where he's going with the play. He's, he's not back-checking. He's not aggressive on the puck. He seems timid and afraid a little bit. Yep, he said it. Not wanting to go in the corner. So Florida's got some big boys. Florida's D, they're slow as cold molasses. But guess what? They're brutes. Do you want to go in the corner with Gudis? Do you want to go in there with Ekblad, who's a big, big man? Sam Bennett? We know how Leaf Nation feels about him. Suspend him for a decade. But, I mean, come on. In the playoffs, you have to want it. You have to be willing to put the effort in to get it. It's not just, well, we have the most skill, we're going to win. No. The game has changed, but some things will remain the same. The ice shrinks. There's less opportunity to make plays. And if you are just wanting to hang out on the outside, not get to the middle of the ice, not go into the corner, create a turnover, come up with the puck, and find a play, you won't win. You won't win, period. Sam Reinhart last night. On the game-winning goal, should have had a tough time getting to the net. It was literally a dump, a rim around the net, and it was ended up on his stick. And TJ Brody and Jake McKay were off doing something. I don't know what. But neither of them figured out, we should probably attack the puck carrier. He wraps it around the easiest goal he's ever scored. A nice goal, but pretty damn easy because there was zero resistance. Zero. This whole team has a problem with putting in effort lately. And 
the biggest loser mentality is, well, we outshot the opponent. Okay. Did you win the game? Then I don't care. I don't care unless you win. How are you going to overtime and have some fucking compete? Have some effort. Ice the puck three times in a row. Excuses, excuses. I don't care about them. You have... Most people would say that the Maple Leafs have the two best players in this series. Matthew Kachuk and Mitch Marner. Sorry, I said Matthew and Mitch Marner. Freudian slip there because I don't. But most people would think that. Why would the team with the two best players in the series be down 0-2? Why? Edmonton Oilers lost game one. They came back and won game two and they stomped Vegas. Why? Because their two best players refused to lose. Matthews, uh, sorry, McDavid, Drysaddle refused to lose. Period. Matthews and Marner accepted it. They accepted defeat. We'll put in the effort that we feel is acceptable. And after that, hey, let's hope for the best. Let's hope something breaks our way for once. Okay. I, the Samsonoff injury was tough, but he's not making that save in overtime. He's not. It was a quick. It was a quick play, and that was on the defense to be ready. So it's not on the goaltender. Joseph Wall came in and played extremely well, and good on him because that was a tough moment. A tough moment for him. But I look at the game plan. I agreed with Keith going eleven and seven. I thought that was the right call. Eric Gustin scored a goal. I thought he played terrible <laughs> otherwise. Such a liability. I'll never like his style of play. But there weren't many Leafs who had good games last night. Not many. Lafferty, Camp, Swiss Army Knife did not have a good, good game, a.k.a. You know, Alex Kerfoot who is often referred to as a Swiss Army knife. And if he's a Swiss Army knife, give me a German knife, Austrian, Latvian knife, Finland, you know, whatever whatever country you want, I'll take that knife over him. Because if a Swiss Army knife is that good, if it's that reliable, I'll take anything else. Just food for thought there. But I don't think uh, Morgan Riley played well. I don't think TJ Brody played well. Luke Shen had his worst game of the postseason, in my opinion. He iced the puck a few times. He made that decision to give up a, a two-on-one at the beginning of the second period. My, my assessment of the game is the Leafs were lucky they lost by one. They should be thankful that they lost by one goal because Florida was better. Period. End of story. Not, oh, well, we, we, we outshot them or this happened. We lost our goalie. Wah, wah, wah. That's, not, that's not why you lost the game. And that's not an excuse. Okay, Luke Shen, don't fall into your goalie. Wasn't Sam Bennett this time, the Grim Reaper, who should have been suspended for the rest of the series for banging up Matthew Nyes. It's a hockey play. It's a wrestling match. He won it. That's how I view it. But last night, I just, I did, there was no compete. There was no 
energy to say, we have to win this game. And guess what? You did. You had to win that. It's 3-0 down. The Leafs, I don't feel good about their chances. I don't feel good about their chances. Coming back from 3-0 down is extremely tough. And we're talking about a team that has not shown much backbone in the history of this group being together. I'm curious to see what their energy is going to be on Wednesday night. Because they are on the brink of elimination. They're not going to have Samson off in all likelihood. We have a few days to talk about this, but I would go with Joseph Wall. I'm not putting Matt Murray back in the net because, quite frankly, if I was the coach, I'd be so upset with Matt Murray that I don't want him in the net. He doesn't deserve to make that start, quite frankly. And Wall gives you just as good a chance to win. I don't know what Sheldon Keith will do, but Matt Murray, I don't trust him. Give Wall the start. Wall is going to be on the team next year. And you want to win this game and you want to come back and win the series. Yes. But if you lose the game, give it to Wall and it gives him – he's going to he's gonna be one of their two goalies starting next season. Will, will Samsonoff be – will Matt Murray be around? I don't know. But he will be one of them because he's earned that right to be an NHL goaltender. He's proven that he can be. He's proven that he can be. For Keith, he's not going to have Samsonoff. He's not going to have Matthew Nyes. I would likely go. It's tough because the more de, the thing is, you have so more and more defensemen that aren't playing that well. You, you want to go eleven and seven and gives more minutes to Matthews and Marner. That's not exactly. A, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement right now because none of them have played that well. And you want to get them on the ice. You want to get them in more scoring opportunities. But if I'm Sheldon Keefe in game four, it's a must-win game. The thought is, well, Matthews and Marner always have to play with each other when you have to win a game. I disagree with that. I, I, I don't like them playing together, quite frankly. I prefer them apart. I would go... Now that Matthew Nyes is not here... I would go Matthews, Young Croak, and Bill Nylander. And I would go Tavares, Riley, O'Reilly, and Marner. It, it, it goes against, I love the three centerman options, but when you go 11 and 7, you're not going to have three perfect lines all the time. It's going to be a mismatch. You're going to have people. So that's what I would do. I would, those would be my top two lines. And see if you can create something. Because John Tavares only played 16 minutes last night. 16 unforgettable uh, minutes. Marner played 21. Matthews only played 20. He didn't play them big minutes last night because they were no good. That's why. They, didn't they shouldn't have played any more than that. And if I look at this now, David Camp played 15. Lafferty only played 11. They should have played more. They should have played more because at least they created scoring opportunities. Sometimes you have to read a game and see who's going and who's not. And I think part of the fear of today's game, and this is not just in the NHL, but around the world when it comes to sports. Coaches, management are afraid to bench 
or play players who are lower in the lineup more minutes because they're afraid of the feelings of the top end players. It's a top balancing act. Seeing it in the NBA, DeAndre Ayton with the Phoenix Suns, he's their center. He's not closing out games because his effort sucks most nights. And he's just, you want him to be great, but he never is. I wouldn't be afraid to put other guys out. You're in the fucking playoffs. You're in the playoffs. You're trying to win. If you lose Wednesday, it's over. And if you're that worried that, oh, we got to play Matthews these minutes because we think he might leave this summer, then he, you're, you're, already, you're already losing that game. He's already in L.A. If, that, if that's your biggest concern. I just, I did not expect to see that kind of effort last night. I expected, I expected the least to win. I truly did. I expected them to win last night, just like I expected them to win in game two. You have to credit Florida. Bobrovsky's been really good in the series. Didn't have to be great last night, but he was good enough to win. Sasha Barkov's woke up, didn't have a great first round. Played, has played real, three really solid games. Kachuk's been around it. The Florida defense has held up for the most part. Gudis gets an assist on the game-tying goal. which He doesn't get many points, but he gets one there. Verhege's been good. Their, their best players have been better than Toronto's, point blank. Point blank. Top two lines of Florida have outplayed the top two lines of Toronto. One thing I think Toronto has an advantage is they have an extra day. They have an extra day to game plan. They have an extra day to really get their thoughts together. Because if I'm Florida, I want to play tomorrow night. I don't want to wait till Wednesday. I want to play tomorrow night, and I want to stomp on their throat. I want to get Toronto when they're so dejected, when they're still thinking about the loss, and I, I want to move on, get to the conference final, and prepare. And start to rest and watch Carolina and New Jersey and see what happens there. But it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday night, game four. I think that's an advantage for Toronto because the team with the better feeling wants it right away. Now they have to wait. Paul Maurice and his crew have to wait an extra day. We'll talk more about the game throughout the week. But truly baffling to me how, how pathetic that performance was last night. Credit to the goaltender for getting them to overtime. Played an average third period. That's all I'm giving you. The other two, ugh. best players for the Leafs show up. If you really care, if you really, if you really want to show people that you want to win, because demonstrating your compete level is not winning one round. It's not. It really isn't. You read Mark Messier's book, and I recommend you all do this. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. He talks about in the book about how they got to the final against the New York Islanders in the 80s. And they were in the Stanley Cup final, but they got thoroughly beaten. But he said, we felt something. Because in the previous year, they had lost in the first round, and they got to the Stanley Cup final. But he said, it was a learning lesson on how much we truly had to put in. Because, yes, we, did, we competed harder than we did the year before. 
because we got we won two more rounds, but we needed to win three more to win the cup. And for the Maple Leafs, winning one round is not a good enough achievement just to say this was a great year. I'll never understand that mentality. It needs to be more. You need to strive for more. And unfortunately for this team, they never seem to do it. They accept what what they ultimately get and they move on. They need to have the messy approach of we need to continue to battle. They need to recognize here in the moment what we're doing is not good enough. Because there are teams that go through learning. This team has learned as much lessons as you ever want to know. Losing in the first round, losing in the first round, euphoria in, in the city of Toronto. But where does this go now? Sheldon Keefe, Kyle Dubas's jobs are safe. Are they? Are they? What if they get swept in the second round? Andrew Brunette won a series for the Florida Panthers last year. Their first series win since 1996. Doug McLean was the GM in 1996. They got to the Stanley Cup final. Van Viesbrook was in net. They ultimately lose. Well, same situation. The Maple Leafs get swept to the Florida Panthers. Is it just, well, you know what? We won a round, so we're going to keep everybody on board. Maybe. But losing in seven in the second round and losing in four, it is a, there is a difference there. It's the same result, but ultimately, a lot of life, a lot of sports is about optics. Optically, how does it look? You lose game seven in overtime. Oh, we were so close. We were so close to winning. You get swept, you're not close to winning. And another thing, you're not close to winning a Stanley Cup. Because you lose in the second round via a sweep, you were nowhere close. You were swimming upstream. You were... You're, nor, you're not even in the realm of being a champion. So those are the things to think about. They lose Wednesday night. It's not hunky-dory. It's not Kyle Dubas fist-pumping with Jason Spezza up in the press box. It's where do we go from here? Calgary's got a GM opening. Uh, Pittsburgh has a GM opening. Joel Quenville's on the market. Apparently the Rangers aren't going to take him. Don't really get that. But he could be available. You're telling me Joel Quenville wouldn't want to coach an original six team in Toronto? I think he would. I think that would be really, I think he'd love that. See, Joel Quenville, multiple-time Stanley Cup champion, who has some th shit on him right now because of Chicago. We get that. Or Sheldon Keefe. Where do we go? I know my pick. But that's just food for thought. There's always another person hanging around. Jared Gallant, will he get another job? I don't think Toronto's hiring him, but would somebody, you know? Because here's the thing. I think if they if they get swept, which could happen, Kyle Dubas, is, is he coming back? I don't know. I don't think it's a done deal. And if Kyle Dubas isn't coming back, I don't think Sheldon Keith's coming. Because for all we hear, they're the same person. They got the same thoughts. They like the same stuff. They both were at Sault Ste. Marie. They're best buddies. Okay. 
Well, the two best friends that anybody could have couldn't get it done. So why not move on? You got one year left with Matthews, potentially. One year left with Bill Nylander, potentially. This group hasn't won. Let's bring in somebody else. People with different thoughts, see if they can win. These things all can happen. They all can transpire. It's just what the organization ultimately decides to do. These questions will all be talked about. If you lose the series, they'll all be in discussion because guess what? Things change. Before we get to other series, the Rangers did. They This is, and again, I've talked about this before. Gerard Glant, the New York Rangers, mutually agreed to part ways. Oh, my God. Come on. Can we just say he was fired, please? Can we just say he was fired? It's just, it's so benign. And it's, oh, no, we didn't want to, we didn't really fire him. But yes, yes, you did. You fired him. That, that, that's it. You, you, you fired him. He, he, he's gone. Okay. Sound fair? Mutually agreed to part ways. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Enough. The Rangers now have a head coaching vacancy. Chris Jury, who you could argue is the biggest failure. He's the Rangers GM. The biggest failure for the season because of some of these trades that he made, making the team not very tough, making the team with less compete level, and they ultimately lose to the New Jersey Devils. He gets to fire his bullet. He gets to fire a head coach, and you know his heat, his seat isn't so hot anymore. It was reported on the weekend by uh, Larry Brooks of the New York Post, aka Brooksy, if you remember John Tortorella. He's he reported that the Rangers will not be pursuing Joel Quenville. Now that could ultimately be false because reporters are wrong. But I'm I would. I said this about Toronto with the Rangers. Original six. Maybe Gary Bettman doesn't want Joel Quenville back in the game. That could be true. Maybe he just doesn't want him. Doesn't want him around. Because the Rangers, the last two coaches, they had David Quinn, who was a college coach with no experience, and they went to Gerard Gallant, who had tons of experience as an NHL head coach. What do you do now? This team still believes they can win a Stanley Cup. Uh, Patrick Kane will be gone. Tarasenko will be gone. Mikola will be gone. Do they bring back Alexi Lafreniere? Unlikely, in my opinion. Kadri Miller needs to be re-signed. I would re-sign him, absolutely. He's a stud. We need to rebuild parts of your team. But I still like part. I love Chris Kreider. I love Mika Zibanejad. They have, I hate Artemi Panarin. That's been well documented. But you have pieces to this team that you think can win. One thing I would do, and this sounds hyper, this sounds like something from me because I just dislike the player. I would ask Artemi Panarin about his no trade. He makes $11 million. Yes, Artemi Panarin makes $11 million somehow. Where would he be willing to go? And it's unlikely you can get that trade to work because I think he'll only go to Florida, which Florida can't afford him. Tampa can't afford him. He plays in New York. I don't really think there's many other places he'd be willing to accept a trade. But I'd ask. 
I would ask because if you can get that number off the books, that would be awesome. If you can take a soccer team that would take him. If you think of, there's Joel Quenville who would be interesting for the Rangers. They let go of Gerard Gallant. Uh, Lindy Ruff is not signed after this season in New Jersey. He's still coaching, but he's not. He doesn't have a contract for next year. Andrew Brunette is on the Devils bench. I think he's going to get another head coaching job. I'm not sure if New Jersey wants him and they'll let Lindy Ruff go. But I think Andrew Brunette will be a head coach again in the NHL. Where that is, I don't know, but I think he will be. There's all there's always retreads. There's always guys that find their way back. I don't think Daryl Sutter's coaching again. He's got eight million that a team would have to pay him. That's not happening. There's Bob Motzko. He's he was the head coach, University of Minnesota. He's had a lot of success there. They've had some good runs. I'm sure, there's some assistant coaches. A guy I keep my eye on is Steve Ott, former NHLer. St. Louis Blues. He's an assistant coach on the Blues bench with Craig Berube. I think he's a good coach. I think he's been doing it a long time. He'd be a guy to keep your eye on. But, yeah, there's 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 vacancies. Columbus needs to hire a head coach. Anaheim needs to hire a head coach. And I'll tell you, I think a lot of these vacancies – these lesser ones like Columbus, like Anaheim, they're still vacant because of tonight. If you're not aware, and the NHL has done better at marketing it this year, the NHL draft lottery is this evening at 9 o'clock, Atlantic time. We will find out who will get the number one pick in the draft and who will be selecting Connor Bedard. Anaheim currently has the best odds to get the number one pick in the draft. Columbus is number two. So... If either of these teams get the first pick, I think a coach with some experience, with some flair, would be way more excited about taking a job there. They know it's a rebuild. They know it's maybe not going to be great right away, but you get a generational talent in Connor Bedard. That's something. That's a carrot that you can dangle. That's something that you can play with. And... I would be I would go to Anaheim and coach that team if I knew I could get Connor Bedard. Because as we stand here, Ducks have a 25%, Columbus 13, Chicago 11.5, San Jose 9.5, Montreal 8.5, Columbus 7.5, uh, sorry, Arizona 7.5, Philly 6.5, Washington, it goes down from there. So if you're one of these lesser teams, I would consider taking the gig. I would look at it. For instance, a guy who didn't coach this year, Alain Vigneault. I think he's a really good head coach. I think he's a smart coach. He has, has had success everywhere he goes. Would he take a job at one of these teams and kind of build them back up? I think he'd consider it. If you know you got a great player to, to play with, you got Mason McTavish, Jimmy Drysdale will be coming back from injury, Cam Fowler is still an Anaheim Duck. So you have something. You have something. Your team is still horrible, but you have something to at least promote. Something to entice you. 
Columbus, it could be a game changer if they got Connor Bedard. Because I, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen, he's a genius for keeping his job as long as he has, because he hasn't won anything. And yet he's been there a decade and he's spent money like crazy and he's made some weird decisions by going all in on a team that really wasn't that good. Then seeing Bobrovsky walk for nothing, Panarin walk for nothing. So he, if he could get Connor Bedard, you have Johnny Gaudreau, Patrick Laine is there, Zach Orensky will be back. Blankenship, my guy in the back end. Elvis Merzlikens had a really good season. Maybe he could duplicate that. So the team looks better. The team looks better with Connor Bedard. You can push to be more competitive. Chicago, they have their coach. That's null and void. But I think for some of these teams, it's about seeing where they stand in the draft lottery odds before you hire your next coach. Because I think it could be, well, we got to hire a coach that's at the AHL level that we like, but we don't think is going to be here when we win. Or we hire a coach that we think could be here for an extended period of time. Like Alain Vigneault, for instance. Because I, I think he's a good coach. Really, the most interesting hire for me is Calgary. Who do they hire? I have no idea. I have no idea. They go from Daryl Southern. They need somebody complete opposite. Brunette would work there, but he was with Huberto and they didn't win. So that obviously likely would sour the situation. But I mean, just doing what Huberto wants is a losing mentality too, because I think he's just, he's a loser. He's a losing player. I don't think, I'm not saying he's a loser person. I just think the way he plays and the way his style and the way he goes about it is never going to be a winning formula in the end. But yeah, it's there's some interesting interesting decisions to be made here across the league when it comes to head coaching jobs, GM jobs. There's a man who works for Sportsnet right now, I think is very good on television, Mike Fuda. He worked in LA. He won Stanley Cups there. Does he get a GM job? Does he go to Calgary? He used to work with Daryl, so maybe they don't want to bring him in. But could he get a GM job there? Who's taking the Pittsburgh job? Some, somebody that gets a five- to six-year contract, that's for sure, because that job is not going to be that fun. A GM with maybe less experience, because I think a GM that wants to win is not going to Pittsburgh, because it's not going to happen. You got a better chance of winning in Calgary than you do in Pittsburgh, certainly. Toronto's GM could be vacant. Lots of things that potentially could be on the horizon here. We'll wait and see. Let's go to Edmonton. I mentioned Vegas defeated Edmonton in game one. It was a really lackluster effort by the Oilers. In particular, on their back end, Dayarnay, their big defenseman in game one, was really atrocious. Made some really horrible decisions with the puck. Uh, they ran into some uh, injuries a, a little bit. But, you know, Vegas took it to them. Vegas' depth really showed up. Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, Jack Eichel made some important plays. So Edmonton had a, you know, they had to come up with a response. 
in game two, and boy, did they. Edmonton wins 5-1 to one Saturday night, and it was, it was a near flawless performance for me because the game was over after the first period. It was four. It was five nothing after the second period for for the Edmonton Oilers. You had their power play went three for five on the night. McDavid scored a shorthanded goal, and I mean, just Leon Drysital has been incredible in these in these playoffs. I he is on another planet when it comes to his. he's doing on a nightly basis. He's got 13 goals thus far in eight games. It's it's crazy. He's the ultimate power forward. He's so strong, so tough to move off the puck. And on the power play, he is lethal. Because you cheat to McDavid and Drysaddle can put it uh, you know, in the back of the net quicker than you blink an eye. In my lifetime, I don't know if I've seen a better performer in the playoffs so far in this early of a stretch. He's scoring two, two, three goals now. He scored four goals in game one. McDavid only has five goals. Trisettle has eight more. It's, it's crazy. And Saturday night, the game was over. They came at, the, came at Vegas early. They had no real answer. But what Vegas did is they tried to mix it up a little bit. And Evander Kane got involved for the Oilers. He ended up with a bunch of penalty minutes. It was a physical affair. And I don't blame Vegas for approaching it this way, but I, I like what Edmonton did. Nick Bukestad, who's not exactly a fighter, fought. Evander Kane had 24 minutes of penalties. Clem Costin dropped the gloves. Brett Kulak dropped the gloves. And they did what they had to do. Will Carrier mixed it up. Nick Hag. Colasar was a big brute. White Cloud, Nick Roy. You know, Vegas was embarrassed on home ice. They just, they were never in that game. Bruce Cassie had a bad challenge that didn't go his way. But it's 1-1. And, that, and that's the best thing about this series. You won game one, it's 1-1. Edmonton technically has taken home ice advantage. But I think both of these teams are really solid teams. You look at the depth. Ivan Barbashev has three goals in the series for Vegas. He's a depth player, really good playoff performer. Eichel, I mentioned. Brett Howden's been really, really good in the postseason. Marcia So has been quiet. He hasn't scored a goal yet, which is concerning. He's gonna need, He needs to, sh- to show up, quite frankly. He's one of the more important players. He's been playing like the, the least best players. Chandler Stevenson's been great. No surprise there. That's just what he does. Mark Stone, you can see they're attacking his back. They're cross-checking him. They're they're making him pay, which is, that's hockey. That's what you got to do. But to me, looking at this series through two games, game one was very close. Game two was a blowout. The key for Vegas is to keep the game five on five. Because I think Vegas is a better team than Edmonton 5-on-5. I do. Edmonton's a much better team than they were last year. The additions of Clint Costin, who's just a horse out there. It's unfortunate that Matthias Janmark uh, is concussed because I like him. 
but even Derek Roy plays better than he did before. Yamamoto is more confident than he was in past years, and you have the two superstars. But I look at Vegas 5-on-5. Five five. I like their defense more. Their defense is extremely deep. They have four lines that they can throw at you, and I don't think Vegas really cares. who They don't try to line match all that much. They shouldn't. They should do it less than they are because I think you can play. You're playing against McDavid. Any center is going to be at a disadvantage. You are. And I think for Vegas, you have to make a decision. Do you want Chandler Stevenson, who is their best defensive center, but he's also been one of the most important offensive players. Do you want him to go against McDavid and do his best to shadow him and shut him down to an extent? Or do you want him to be an offensive player, put him on the ice against Edmonton's third line and produce? That's the decision they have to make. Because if, if it's Stevenson that's going to be the shutdown guy and his offense is going to lag because of his assignment, Marcheseau has to show up. Jonathan Marcheseau, who has been a great playoff performer in the past, who is a very good NHL player, has to produce, has to score goals. Marcheseau, Riley Smith, come on, guys. Come up in the big moments and make a play. Really, for them, that that's where we are. They need to find it. They need to find that better performance and deliver. Because we're seeing it. In the Canes Devil series, first two games, the Canes absolutely whitewash the Devils. Just put them in a blender and they don't know what the hell's happening. Yasperi Kokaniemi is the superstar of game two. They're getting goals from over the lineup. Jordan Stahl scores a highlight real goal. It was nowhere close. The Canes were the big brother, Devils were little brother, and it was quite embarrassing. But what do we see? In game four, uh, game three, Jack Hughes, a superstar, said, enough. I'm going to the corners. I'll fight for loose pucks, and I'm going to make it happen. Timo Meyer was put on Jack, Jack Hughes' line with Toss and Mercer, and they were fantastic yesterday. So if Vegas wants to go with Stevenson v. McDavid, which I'm not completely against, Marcia So, Carlson, Riley Smith. That's what they were doing when they first came to Vegas. That was the line that in that opening year, in that crazy start to the Vegas Golden Knights franchise, that's what got them to the Stanley Cup final. That was their best line. That was before Mark Stone arrived. That was before Alex Petrangelo arrived. These guys were doing it. Can they continue to do it? I would go with that line in game three. My defensive line, I would go with Stevenson. Stevenson, Howden, Barbashev is likely what I do. Then you have Eichel, and you compare him with Mark Stone and Nick Roy. That's likely what I would do with the lines. Or you can go with Barbashev on that line, who I like. But Vegas, Vegas has to make that decision to me. How do we want to play? You got to be better with your sticks because you're taking a lot of tripping penalties. And yes, Edmonton's the faster team than you, but you're not slow. Trust your goalie to make a save. Trust your defenseman to be back. You got great skaters in the back end. Great skaters. Shea Theodore is a great skater. Petrangelo is still a very good skater. Alec Martinez is solid. So trust your defense. Trust your defense to make plays. 
They're good with the puck. So be better with your sticks and make your decision on how you want to approach the game. Because I feel like they're one foot in, one foot out. Because if you have a defensive shutdown line against McDavid, and if McDavid and Dreisett are going to play together, I think that's better, actually. That's better off for Vegas because Vegas is a better five-on-five team. They have more guys that can score. Eugene Hopkins has been quiet in the playoffs so far. Hasn't been as good in the, as he was in the regular season, which is to be, excited, to be expected because he's not a superstar. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is, is William Nylander. He's gravy. He's a good player. But sometimes when, when the expectations are heaped upon that guy, it's not really fair because he's not a superstar. Not Matthews, not Murray, not McDavid, he's not dry settle. That's my comparison. But if I'm looking at this, this Edmonton series, Edmonton can hope they continue to do the same thing if you're Vegas. Okay, we want Stevenson to be a goal scorer, but who's going to shut him down? Because it's not going to be Nick Roy because he doesn't have the foot speed. He doesn't have the foot speed to keep up. If Stevenson is that defensive guy, he can't be asked to do everything offensively. It's just it's just not going to work. This is not a, that's just not how – you can't burn the candle at both ends. Eventually, you crash and burn. So, pardon the pun. So, credit to Edmonton for the response. I'm looking forward to the game tonight. I think this is a fun series. I think this is a fun series. I think both teams... I think, I think Edmonton and Vegas are better than both the other teams in the Western Conference. Seattle or, or uh, Dallas, I do. I think Edmonton's high-end talent is what scares anybody. It's a tough thing to manage. But can Vegas make adjustments to make their life easier and make Edmonton's life harder? Absolutely. And Bruce Cassidy is a smart coach, and I think he will. So we'll see what's in store for that game tonight. Oh, and Edmonton, keep Darren A off the ice, please. Kane's dealt. I mentioned that quickly about Jack Hughes. I thought he was fantastic yesterday playing with Timo Meyer and with Dawson Mercer. Good adjustment from Lindy Ruff. He had four points yesterday. He sure also played well. He called out the team after game two, and I thought he played well yesterday. It, it was a strange game because it, it was a blowout, but the Carolina Hurricanes, and this is a crazy statistic, he, the Carolina Hurricanes yesterday had one, two, they technically had three shorthanded goals because Martinuk scored a, a penalty shot goal while shorthanded. So that's technically shorthanded. George Stahl scored, short, scored a shorthanded goal. Seth Jarvis scored shorthanded. The New Jersey Devils also scored a shorthanded goal. The Devils also scored on the power play. So it was a weird day. It was a weird afternoon. The game ended 8-4. to Freddie Anderson was pulled. Korchkov went in. But the Devils just had just had a day. Jesper Brack got on the scoreboards. So he's going to get some confidence, hopefully, for that team. They inserted Luke Hughes into the lineup. who He only played 14 minutes. He played a really solid 14 minutes. He played really well yesterday. He had he added two assists in his playoff debut. So I don't think this series is over yet. 
Carolina plays the way they play. They're very structured. They're frustrating. But with all that being said, I don't love their goaltending situation. I've said that from the beginning. There are members of that defense that you can attack. And the Devils have Jesper Bratt. They have Jack Hughes. They have Luke Hughes. They have the Michael McLeod line has been fantastic with, with Bastion and with Miles Wood. So that line's a problem for Carolina, uh, for uh, for Carolina to defend. I think New Jersey can make this a series. It's two one. They need to win. To me, it's a must win for the Devils tomorrow. Because Carolina at home, Carolina's lost at home at two times in the last two postseasons. Two times, one to the Islanders in game five, and they lost in game seven to the Rangers in the second round last year. So the Devils are going to have to win one game on the road. They're going to need to find a road win to advance to the conference final. But don't try to win multiple games in Carolina. Win one. Win tomorrow, win game five, win game six back in Newark. That would be my plan of attack. But the way they play with speed yesterday, the way they counterattacked, that's how you beat Carolina. Make them skate. They have a lot of really big power forwards, and when you're playing a slow game, when it's along the boards and it's at their pace, they are going to maul you to death, which is what happened in the first two games of this series. You think the Canes were up 2 nothing? They're without Tivo Teravainen. They're without Pacioretty. They're without Svechnikov. I mean, it's crazy. It's a credit to Rob Brendamore's system and what they do there in Carolina. It's truly a credit to what they do. Because they shouldn't be leading the series, and they shouldn't have won those two games that effortlessly. But credit to Nico Heischer, the captain, the Devils. He called him out, and I thought he played well, and I thought his team responded. They went back to Vitek Vanacek who hadn't made a start since game two of the first round. He was he led in four goals, but he was solid. It's a weird postseason. To think you see New Jersey hanging around, Carolina, Florida leading the Maple Leafs, Seattle leading the, the Dallas Stars. I mean, that was an ass-whooping last night by the Seattle Kraken. 7-2 beatdown. They came ready to, they played, I watched, watching the first period, I said, well, they played a lot better, but Dallas withstood it. Well, Dallas did in the second period. Dallas did not in the second period. How about five second period goals? And what I love about Seattle, let's look at this. Eberle, Wenberg, Susie, Beniers, Tolvanen, Yanni Gord, Justin Schultz. Seven different goal scorers. Seven different goal scorers last night. That's what this team does. They come at you in waves and they never stop skating. And Philip Grubauer has been fantastic throughout the playoffs. Matty Beneers had his best playoff game of his young career last night. He was quiet throughout the opening round. Kind of woke up a little bit. You saw his, you saw his skill. You saw his talent. But you can, go, you can go Yanni Gord, you can go uh, Sprong, who can score goals, who didn't play much last night, Wenberg, Tolvanen, Tanev, Ty Cartier, who's in for Jared McCann, but he's still pretty, he got an assist last night. That was what I loved about this team before the year, is they have, I said they had about 15 guys that could score 15 goals. 
That ended up happening. And what happened was this team bought into their defensive system. It took them late in the year to figure it out, but they've started to. And Dave Haxtell has got this team playing well. He's got this team believing in themselves that they can win the series, and they can. Because they talk about the Stars in Toronto, you got to talk about the Stars in Dallas. Jason Robertson has not been good. And I love the guy. He's not been good in these playoffs. The Dallas Stars' best forward last night was Max Domi. When it comes to offensive creativity, he was their best player. But you look around, Robertson wasn't good. Pavelski wasn't good. Sagan wasn't good. It was just, it was a no-show. Ottinger allowed five goals and 17 shots. That's not good. Scott Wedgwood had to come in. Miro Heiskanen had to leave the game with an injury, so who knows? Apparently he's okay and he should be good for game four. But I look at the Maple Leafs and I look at the Stars and I would throw on the Jack Hughes tape and I would say, hey, superstars, watch this. Jack Hughes went into that game. He outworked his opponents. He got to the dirty areas. He was willing to take hits and it worked. New Jersey won. Jason Robertson, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to put in that extra effort to take a hit that might hurt and see the results? Because if you are not, then okay. Then we're going we're gonna to go out here. We'll be golfing real, real soon. And that is just is, it is what it is. Seattle doesn't have a superstar. So they just all play the same way, the same mentality. We all have to work our ass off to win, and it's working for them. Florida has a superstar in Kachuk, but he's a superstar with a blue-collar mentality. He's a superstar with a action first, with giving it your all effort first type mentality, not just all my ability. That's the difference. You don't need to try to pry it out of him. It's oozing out of him, his compete level. So I just, your superstars need to show up. Your superstars need to prevail. Robertson hints, are you willing to put in that effort to get to the dirty areas? Because if you're not, Seattle's going to beat you. The Seattle Kraken are going to be in a conference final. Yep. They're up 2-1 and now they have home ice advantage. They've taken it from, from Dallas. It's truly staggering to see what this team has accomplished in one year. And they can miss the playoffs next year, but it doesn't matter. It's about this year. And they're without Jared McCann, who was their best player in the regular season. And kudos to Adam Larson, who's been goofed on forever for that Hall trade, which wasn't a good trade, but he didn't make the trade. He came in. Was he a second overall pick? No, but what I'll tell you, he's been awesome for Seattle. He played 25 minutes last night, and he just does it well. He plays against the team's best players. He played all 82 games this year. Adam Larson is a huge reason why this team is winning. He just he chunk eats chunk chunk minutes. Game two. He played 22. He played 27 in Game 7. This guy just plays huge minutes for Seattle, and he, he does it well. Effortlessly 
Adam Larson, Vince Dunn deserve a ton of credit for Seattle's success this year. I think they've both been fantastic. They've both been better than I think even management could have hoped they would be. NHL draft lottery tonight, Edmonton, Vegas, game three from Edmonton. That's what's coming up for the NHL tonight. Let's pivot to the NBA before I get to the UFC. NBA's, we got some interesting series. Every series is pretty tight. Nuggets, Suns, 2-2 heading back to Denver. Suns win both games in Phoenix. Devin Booker is playing like the best player in the NBA right now. His shooting is out of this world. Kevin Durant's great. And the Phoenix Suns bench is better than, than the uh, Denver Nuggets bench. Jokic dropped 53 last night, was incredibly efficient, not enough to win. Landry Shamit, 17 points off the bench, making clutch threes. Landale played pretty well at center for Phoenix as well. But it's truly special to watch Devin Booker and Kevin Durant play with each other on the same team, and they're doing this without Chris Paul, and they deserve credit for that as well. The, the Los Angeles Lakers currently have a 2-1 series lead on the Golden State Warriors. Game four tonight at the Crypt. It's a roller coaster ride of Anthony Davis. One good game, one bad game. This series has been just a series of blowouts. Golden State wins game, wins game two by 27. The Lakers win game three by 30. Near, uh, almost the same score. Anthony Davis, 25 points, 13 rebounds, four blocks, doing it on both ends. How will he play tonight? That's the big question. We never see him play great back-to-back -back games. LeBron had a, had a pretty special game on Saturday night. A quiet, quiet 21-8-8, but he does it so efficiently. He's still so intelligent. D'Angelo Russell's playing well. We'll see what Golden State has. What does what uh, Draymond Green, what does Clay Thompson have in the tank at this age going deep as they did last year? We'll see. Heat lead the Knicks 2-1. to one. Easily beat the Knicks on Saturday at, in Miami. We got game four tonight. Jimmy Butler is back. He played well. The Knicks just, they barely won game two. This, this easily could be a 3 nothing series lead for the Heat. The Knicks just have had not much pushback in this series. They don't have the same energy as they did in round one. I'm not saying the series is done, but I would be surprised if the Heat don't win this series. And Do the Knicks win game five back at the Mecca? Maybe. Maybe, maybe they win game five back at the Mecca and they push it to go back to Miami. But the Heat are without players. They're without Oladipo. They're without Tyler Hero. But Jimmy Butler's been fantastic. They're getting production from elsewhere. The center position uh, hasn't been great for the Knicks, for Harshenstein, or for Mitchell Robinson. It's, I don't know. To me, the Heat just have found a way to play this style of basketball and, and for it to be effective. I don't know how effective it will be in the conference finals, but I think they're getting there again for the second straight year with a pretty average team. 
So credit to Pat Riley, Spolstra, and the, and the Zombie Heat. And then there's the Celtics and the Sixers. Played a great game yesterday. At times, it felt like the Sixers were going to blow out the Celtics, but the Celtics fought back. Then for a period of time, it felt like the Celtics were going to take a 3-1 stranglehold lead in the series, but to no avail either. And now we sit with the series tied 2-2, two two, Sixers winning 116-115 in overtime. James Harden, awesome in Game 1, horrible in Game 2 and 3. And... I look at the game yesterday. Harden was willing to take big shots. Embiid was solid. Tobias Harris has been nowhere, nowhere close in this series. Maxie's been okay. The bench gave them 11 points. The bench for Boston came up with 25. Brogdon with 19 of them in 36 minutes. For Boston, I just have numerous questions with their decisions when it comes to players and coaching. Marcus Smart played 42 out of 48 minutes. I don't know why. He always wants to take a shot late in the game, which he should never take because he's not going to make it. But for him to play that many minutes when Derek White only plays 31, Derek White's a better player, he's a better defensive player this season anyway. He should be getting those minutes. Jason Tatum, all in all, had a solid game yesterday. He had 18 rebounds, which are great. Six assists, four blocks. So defensively, he was great. But late in games, Jason Tatum makes the wrong play seemingly every single time. He'll drive, and it seems like, okay, I got a lane to the hoop. I'm going to kick it out for a shot with no time on the shot clock. And my only thought is, do you want it? Do you want that smoke? Do you want that intensity late in the game to take the shot? Because I don't think he does. He always passes it up. He never decides just to go with it. And it's just, it's a perplexing thing because he's one of the better players in the NBA. He's the Celtics' best player. And he always, okay, I'll give it to Smart. I'll give it to Al Horford. I'll give it to anybody else but me to take this last shot. The Celtics should have won yesterday, late in the game, and now yet it's a two-two series, and who knows? They are better than the they are better than the 76ers. And I think they're gonna win this series, and I think the Celtics are getting back to the NBA Finals. They should. They're better than the Sixers. The Miami Heat are not a great basketball team. You should be so excited because it's wide open. And gold is it gonna be the Lakers you play in the finals? It's gonna be Denver, it's gonna be Phoenix, that team gonna be tired. I think there's a lot of different avenues. This goes really well for the Boston Celtics, but they make life difficult on themselves. Just you don't trust the team because they're coaching decisions because of their superstar acting like he's not putting the ball in his role players' hands. Why? Why is Marcus Smart taking the last shot? Drive to the basket. They're going to foul you. You go to the free throw line, knock down two, you win the game. You give Doc Rivers an out. Don't give Doc Rivers an out. Game five tomorrow in Boston. I believe. It is. Game five tomorrow in Boston. Game five tomorrow in Denver. 
for Suns Nuggets. Pair of game fours tonight. Knicks at the Heat. Warriors at Lakers. So that's all coming this evening. There's also Mike Budenholzer was fired last week, head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Apparently the ownership did not agree with the stance of Giannis Antetokounmpo that there's no failure. You just try to get better every year. We did not fail this year. Apparently Mike Budenholzer did fail. I thought he should have been guarding Jimmy Butler late in games. They decided not to do that. And, you know, Mike Budenholzer is now out. Losing in the second round last year, losing in the first round this year after winning a title, you're getting worse every year. To me, there's one head coaching, just it's an obvious one. I'd be shocked if this doesn't happen. Nick Nurse is going to be the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. The former Raptors head coach is going to Milwaukee. He took over a team that was close to winning a title in Toronto. Dwayne Casey could not get them over the hump. Now, Milwaukee is an old team. I get it. Chris Middleton, what is he anymore? Is he a bench player? Is he a starter? Do you want him? I don't really want him anymore, but I still love Drew Holiday. I have Giannis. Brooke Lopez, an effective center, even at his age, he's still very good. Can we add to our bench? Can we get some better bench players on this team? That would be great. Can we swing a trade for a, a third star? Could we make that happen? Could our management pull that off like uh, Ujiri did for Kawhi Leonard? Is there somebody out there that we could acquire? Who knows? Things change all the time. Not Kyrie Irving. That's that's not the solution. If you if Giannis, you get him a third star replacing him. But could you? They need wings, is what Milwaukee needs. They need some more wings that can play. Not West West Matthews, who's old as as the you know as the hills. They need somebody that is reliable and that plays efficient basketball. You think around the league. It's, you know, you don't like to give up wing players because they're so valuable. They're so good. And could you, could you trade for Bogdanovich from, from the, the Detroit Pistons? Could he go to, to Milwaukee? He's a good player. He's a, he's a pretty good defender. Would, I mean, Utah's in the tank. How, how much do they want to tank? They had a better season than people would think. What's Laurie Markkinen? What's his status? Could you get him in Milwaukee? This team should believe that they can win a championship next year, which they can. But Nick Nurse's head coach, smarter decisions, better tactical edge than Mike Budenholzer, that would make sense. Nick Nurse will be the Bucks' head coach. Whether they pull a trade for a third star or not, I think he will be their head coach next year. Which keeping him in the Eastern Conference coaching against the Raptors will be a fun soap opera in and of itself. Coach Bud, I don't know. I don't know. He's had ups and downs in his career. He's gone deep with a number of teams with Atlanta, with the Bucks. I would prefer Frank Vogel as a coach over, over uh, Budenholzer because I think he's better just tactically. I think Frank Vogel would be a, a hire that makes sense for the Toronto Raptors. He got fired in, in, in L.A. for really doing nothing wrong. Because LeBron really didn't like him, quite frankly. But that, I think he deserves another opportunity to be a head coach. I think he's been, you know, he obviously won a championship in LA. So he's got some championship pedigree to him. Their head coaching vacancies, 
if the Sixers lose in the second round, is Doc Rivers back next season? I'm not sure about that one. Wouldn't hold my breath. So there's decisions to be made here. But the NBA moves on. Bunch of games tonight. Lots, lots, uh, lots happening around the uh, National Basketball Association. Let's move to UFC. UFC 288 was this past weekend in Newark, New Jersey at the Prudential Center. And it was an interesting event. The main event featured Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. Aljo, the current Bantamweight champion, was Cejudo's first fight in three years since defeating Dominic Cruz and leaving. He's a former two-division champ at Flyweight and at Bantamweight. And it was a lot, it was a lot of cringe talk before this fight coming in to see who was going to win a lot of just smack talk. And it was a close, it was a close fight. I thought Henry won the fifth round definitively. I thought Henry won the second round, but I give Aljo one, three, and four. And just with his takedowns, he was getting more shots on the feet. He was better with his striking than Henry was. And just mixed with the takedowns, with his striking, that was a little bit better. I thought Aljamain Sterling retained the Bantamweight Championship. I agreed with the decision by the judges. It was a split decision, but the judging around MMA has been crazy lately. It's been horrible. One of the scorecards was, I think, 50-47 to for Cejudo. I did not see that. But... It was, I thought I saw it as a three to two, three to two rounds. It was close. But Aljo got the win. It's another title defense. He's defeated Pewter Yan now, former champion. He's defeated TJ Dillashaw now, former champion. And he's defeated Henry Cejudo now, former champion. That's an impressive resume. He beat Yan straight up. Dillashaw had his injury with his shoulder. And now he defeated Henry Cejudo. I think he's probably the best Bantamweight ever. Uh, Dominic Cruz is the guy that they get taught. I think he's a little bit overrated, if you ask me. He's a good fighter, but again, maybe because I'm just used to him watching the last couple of years, which haven't been all that great. But Aljamain Sterling is impressive. He's a really good wrestler. I thought at times he out-wrestled Henry, who's an Olympic gold medalist. So Aljo's legit. He's just not everybody's fit. He's not an exciting fighter, per se. He's not a guy that's going to try to knock you the hell out. He's going to win being strategic, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's about winning fights, about getting your check, and Aljamain does that with, with the best of them. So after the fight, Sugar Sean O'Malley comes into the cage, and it sets up a fight between Aljo and Sugar. And I know Dana White wants to do it in, in August. Uh, Sterling said September. Aljo likes to take kind of a long time off between fights. I could see it being September, but if it's in, they're supposed to have a pay-per-view in Boston in August. I think Sugar will want to be on that. will want to be on that card. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. It was, it was these two getting together in the middle. You Marab Davashvili, who's a very good fighter puts on, puts on Sugar's coat, which was weird. And I think that'll be a fun fight. Sugar's very different from any of the fighters that then uh that I would say that he that um Aljo has fought so far. Dillashaw is compromised. Yawn's a, a mix of both. He is a striker, but he doesn't have knockout power, so to 
so to speak, where Sugar does. Henry is very much tactical wrestling, beat you on the ground fighter. So that is not O'Malley. O'Malley's going to strike with you. He's going to try to punch your head in, and he'll be looking to knock out Aljamain Sterling when they meet up next. So that should, that should be a fun fight. I'm looking forward to that fight. What does this do for Henry Cejudo? He returned. He loses his return fight. And he said after the fight, I'm only looking for gold. Well, here's what I would do. He wanted to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. He's talked about it. He wanted to beat Aljo, then beat Sugar Sean O'Malley, then go fight Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight belt. If I'm Henry, I move up to 145 and I fight Max Holloway. Max Holloway who just fought last month. Max Holloway, who is one of the best of all time. Henry, you could argue one of the best of all time. Two guys that want to have a chance at gold. There's not a whole a lot of fights that make sense for Max Holloway at the in the featherweight division. You talk about fighting the Korean zombie. That's I don't want to see that just for zombie, because I don't think that's gonna go well for him. That would be, I think, a fight that excites Max. A fight that gets the juices going. For Henry, the, the UFC could say, you go beat Max Holloway, you get the next opportunity at Alexander Volkanovsky if you win the fight, which I wouldn't be completely opposed to. Because who's going to get it? Josh Emmett? No. He's, he's going to be fighting. Is going to be Ilya Teporia. That might be a little too soon for Ilya. I like Ilya Teporia a lot, but he's got to beat Josh Emmett, then obviously be in a position, I think, win another fight or two. He's fought, uh, Volk has fought Calvin Cater. He's fought Brian Ortega. So he's fought Max Holloway three times. So there's not a fight that truly makes sense for Volk. He's going to fight Yair. Max Holloway's too. He's fought Ortega. Arnold Allen is coming off a loss. I think Arnold Allen needs to get a win, needs to get back in the win column. Josh Emmett hasn't fought for the title, but he just lost to Yair if he loses to Ilya. So if Ilya Teporia, who's ranked nine, if he beats Emmett, he'll jump to five. Maybe Teporia would fight Arnold Allen in the next fight. Maybe Arnold Allen would fight Ortega. But I think if Holloway fought Max, so if Holloway fought Henry, Henry wins that fight. You go Henry versus Volk. Henry versus Volk. Maybe Islam will defend his championship one more time, and then you have then Volk can move back up if he wants to. But that creates excitement in the featherweight division. You could go Henry versus Holloway as a main event fight on any card, pay per view or otherwise, because these two guys are both box office. They're two legends of the sport. And Henry says he's only sticking around if it's for gold. Well, you just fought for gold, you lost. If you go fight Max, you beat him, you can fight for gold. That's not bad. That's not a, that's not a bad it's not a bad uh, compromise. Then you get Alexander Volkanovsky, you get to fight for the featherweight belt. You could leave the UFC saying you were a three division champ, which is pretty damn impressive. I don't know if he can beat Max though. Max has still looked really good last night. He looked better than Henry looked last night. But that's what I would do. If I'm Henry, that's what I'm pitching to the UFC. I'll stick around. You guys like me. I can sell tickets. Me and Max Holloway down the line. This summer. 
Maybe put on the same card with with uh, Aljo. Just a thought. The co-main event featured Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, and it was a title eliminator in the welterweight division. And you could argue that Bilal Muhammad skunked Gilbert Burns five to nothing, which I think he did. I thought he won all five rounds. Bilal, you know, you got to remember the name. He's to me, he should be the number one contender for Leon Edwards. But for some reason, Dana White loves Colby Covington. He has to give him this opportunity. It makes no sense whatsoever to me. But that's the way they're going to go. I don't love it. To me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But now Bilal Muhammad has been promised he will fight the winner of Edwards Covington for the title. Here's the problem. He's fighting now. He just fought in May. Edwards and Covington are only supposed to fight in October in Abu Dhabi, and that's at the end of October. So that means at the earliest he fights maybe this time next year, so he's going to be off for a whole year. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation for Bilal. Maybe he'll like the time off, but that seems like a long time to sit around and wait. But at the same time, I think he's going to do what O'Malley's been doing and not want not want to give up his spot, which I don't blame him at all. He's fought Gilbert. He, he knocked out Sean Brady, who, who I like, who, who's an up-and-comer. Is he going to take a fight against a guy that could potentially be a problem? I wouldn't want to do that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you look at Walter Waite, he's four currently. He's going to jump to, I believe, probably three. He'll, he'll jump Hamzat because Hamzat's a 185-er. Right now, the only fight, I guess, that you could make sense is he fights Usman, but Kamaru wants to fight Hamzat maybe at 185, which I'm all for. But if I'm below, I'm not fighting Shavkat, no way. Steven Thompson, no. Jeff Neal, no. Sean Brady already beat him. Luke beat him. Neil Nagny beat him. Jack Della Maddalena, no fucking way. So he needs to sit on his spot and wait, and you might have to wait a year. And that's some guys like sitting around. There's guys like Alexander Volkanovsky who like to fight all the time, who like to stay active. I guess it just depends on the person. I just worry about that a little bit for, for Bilal Muhammad. But what I think he needs to work on before that fight with Edwards or Covington, but I think it'll be Edwards, is find that killer instinct. I thought he fought really well on Saturday, but he, he puts combinations together, great kicks to the body. But go for the kill. When you see a guy's backing up against the cage, don't back up yourself. Go in, throw three to four strikes, try to get to the to try to get the finish. I didn't see that. I don't think he does it enough. But that's something I think he needs to work on. Find that killer instinct and go for the finish. But impressive nonetheless. He, skunk, he skunks Gilbert Burns. Reportedly, Gilbert Burns might need surgery on his shoulder. Looked ejected during the fight. Tough news for him. That was his third fight in five months for Gilbert Burns. He deserves credit for even taking the fight. Fight of the night for who is Mavsar uh, Avalov versus Diogo Lopez. Mobstar's never lost in the UFC. He's never lost as a professional. Diego Lopez took the fight on five days' notice. He nearly beat him. Nearly beat him with a with a leg lock late in the third round. Had an arm bar in the first round. He fought his ass off. I think this Lopez is going to be a really good fighter. If he fights even, you know, Mobstar was number 10 in the rankings. He gave him all that he could handle. 
credit to him. He's a rising star. Mobstar is another guy who is really good. He he's a guy that is is going to be a problem for for a number of people, in my opinion, because he just in that division he he can he can make some stuff happen. He's he's a guy that I think you just look at him and you're like, whoa, that he's 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 number ten in the featherweights. And if you look at featherweight at the top, there's a lot of guys that have fought for the title. Mobstar said he'd like to fight Zombie. I prefer that over seeing Holloway and Zombie. If Mobstar could fight Calvin Cater potentially, maybe that would make that would make some sense. He was supposed to fight Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell had to pull out. Maybe they'll rebook that fight. I don't know, but he's he's very good. And he said he wants to fight uh, soon enough. Uh, Yang Yashan knocked out Jessica Andrade. To me, it makes all the sense in the world. You go Yan versus Yang Zhang Weili for the championship. They're both from China. You can write that story. They're both they both like to throw. They both don't mind a knockout. Like that's a fun fight. I think that's the fight to make. Book it. Cron Gracie, you're done. Pathetic performance against Charles Jordan. Not even close. Matt Prevola knocked out Drew Dober, found that chin, knocked him out. Big win for Matt the Steamroller. He is a rising star in the sport. Love to see that. And before we wrap today, I was just talking about some stuff happening in the UFC with, with Henry Cejudo. He apparently has his own plans. It appears that this is by Nick Baldwin of The Score. It appears that Henry Sudo plans to continue fighting, and he wants one of the toughest opponents in the UFC Bantamweight division next. The former two-division champion tweeted Monday that he's interested in a matchup with Marab Davishvili at the planned UFC 292 event in Boston in August. He tweeted, this shit is far from over at Dana White. I want Marab Davishvili head on a plate. Hashtag UFC Boston. Uh, Marab obviously is the training partner of Aljamain Sterling. They are best buddies. You could say he would, you know, they should be fighting each other for the title. He won't do it because Sterling is the champion. So I'd be fine with that fight. I I I would I'd be up for that. That would be fun. Because you got O'Malley, Sanhagen is right up there. He beat Pewter Yawn. Sanhagen won to fight Marab. I know they wanted to book Marab and Umar Nurmagomedov. They can't find a can't find a dance partner for him. Dominic Cruz hasn't fought in a while, so this division is kind of up in the air. Uh, currently, the bantamweight division, but there's some really good contenders, and it's the toughest division in the sport. If you add Cejudo to that mix, it gets even more complicated. Cejudo Marab or Sanhagen Marab? I would probably say Sanhagen for myself personally because I think Sanhagen's a really good fighter. The way these two guys, they're both cardio machines. That would be fun. But either fight, either fight is going to sell. Definitely. But that was the weekend. This week we'll be covering lots. Draft lottery tonight. Full reaction to that tomorrow here on the podcast. We also will talk about Edmonton game uh, game three, Edmonton-Vegas. We'll recap the NBA. 
and get into a number of different things from around the world of sports. Get back into baseball. I've been talking about that in a, in a minute. The Rays are still winning, breaking news. But there's some teams struggling. Wilson Contreras, former catcher, now moved to DH with the Cardinals. They paid him a lot of money to be their catcher. Was a gold glove catcher in Chicago. So there's some question marks there down in St. Louis as they transition from Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols to this new generation of talent. Um, Blue Jays swept the Pirates over the weekend. So lots happening in the world of sports. We'll get to it all uh, this week. Glad to be back. Glad to be talking to all of you. Hope you guys all have a great day and a great week. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Just to the point.